Hey, this is Kelly Whiffen. Thanks for joining us today for the Encounter Church podcast. We all want to live lives of better decisions and fewer regrets. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we believe the next 30 minutes can be one of the most helpful and hopeful parts of your week. At the end of the podcast, stay tuned for a couple messages. Thanks again for joining us today. Once again, good morning and welcome. Glad that you are here. Listen, we have an incredible amount of talent here at Encounter Church. And I want to highlight something for you today that most of you would have never known. I think probably almost all of you would have never known. Have I not told you? Our preschool directors out of town are elementary school. Um, you know, ministry uh, director is out of town. You may notice because they're up front. A couple of weeks ago, our normal worship leaders are out of town, and the lead pastor is out of town. Is there anyone else out of town that's in charge of something around here? I could have started by telling you the amount of people that are here that do lead ministries, which I think is, I don't know, one or two. There, there, but there are 40 uh, to 55 talented people that help make Encounter Church every, um, happen every single week. And I say that because I stood in the back listening to this incredible worship team that leads us um, week after week after week, and they're so talented. And so I just want to give a shout out to them. I think we can all do that just by giving them a round of applause. I mean, it's sort of like the major leagues. You know, when someone gets hurt, there's another pro that's going to step in. And, and I say that just in amazement. When I walked into the kids' spaces before I came in here this morning, I'm like, they're fine, right? They're great. They're more than fine. And so there's so many talented people that are in the back right now that you don't know their names. I know their names. And so I'm grateful. So I say all that to, just to brag on them, not just our worship team, um, but the teams that lead our, our family ministry week in and week out are phenomenal. And so two things. Number one, if you're not serving, you're missing out, right? And we have so many folks that serve. And I just want to encourage you and challenge you. If you say, hey, I'm willing to help. There are so many people today that are making a difference in the lives of other children and other people because they're serving. And so if you've been around Encounter for a while, I'd love for, before you leave today to say, hey, give me a shot. I'll, I'd like to do something. The second thing is just watch out. You might be singing next week. All right. If that's not you, then don't worry. Uh, we want to put you in, a, in an area where really you flourish because God has created each and every single one of us in this room. And we're all so uniquely different and so uniquely wired. There is no other me and there is no other you. And so I stand just in amazement that I get to be a part of Encounter Church week in and week out. And what makes it great um, are people like you. And today I've already met so many first time guests. In fact, I won't go old school like this and point them out and make them stand up. But I met some, you know, someone from Brazil today, a family from Brazil that through an online uh, network of churches around the world found us online and joined us from Brazil. So I think they win the furthest away award. Maybe not. Maybe someone online is listening from Taiwan, you know. Um, if so, I hope you know English. But we're glad that you're here too. I remember growing up, Someone, uh, you know, kind of the old school church. I don't know if you remember this. If you know, someone would say, hey, if you're a first time guest, raise your hand. And someone would walk around and like greet you. Anybody? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm not the only one. <laughs> Isn't that weird? 
I mean, it's 2019. We won't do that to you, but um, we're glad that you're here. If you're joining us online as well, I tell you, we it's neat to see where folks watch from. I joke about that, but really from around the world, not just from our, our neighborhoods around the greater Boston area where people drive to and from to come be a part of the church, but really from around the world. And so uh, I think that's just a neat opportunity because of technology that we have today. Um, some people have a good sense of direction. And others don't. All right, now confession. Who has a good sense of direction? Raise your hand if you're like, that's me. I got a pretty good sense of direction. All right, raise your hand if you're, that's totally not you. If you're like, no, nah, I don't really have a good sense of direction. I don't know why I do this, but when, I, when I'm in new areas, it's like a test to me to like find the destination. I even want, before I ever put it into Google Maps, and someone last week said, I'm going to map quest it. I'm like, map quest it? That was like 1984. And I, that's okay if you're still map questing. There's something called Google Maps. Map questing, I'm, is it still out there? I'm sure it is, because someone last week mentioned it to me. I don't remember who that was, but MapQuest can work, you know, but um, Google Maps. I, I even want to find my destination without the map. I don't know why that's even possible. But if I ever do put in Google Maps, like the directions, because I want to get to where I'm supposed to go without getting lost, the second time I want to see if I can do it without directions. Anybody like me? I don't know why I do that. I'm willing to get lost so I can pat myself on the back to see I know where I'm going. How silly is that? A couple of days ago, Rachel and I were in Arkansas for Melissa, one of our worship leaders that has been leading here for a long time since the beginning of Encounter. Uh, Melissa Rodriguez, she is now Melissa Daniel, right? And so... Uh, in fact, they may be watching online from Australia. Probably not. They're on their honeymoon. I mean, not that you can go to church on your honeymoon. Anyways, whatever. That's a different conversation. You can go to church on your honeymoon. If you're listening, it's probably nighttime there. Um, you're probably not watching. Anyways, um, they are? Oh, you're watching her online. Hey, Nathan. Hey, Melissa. This cool thing about technology. That's awesome. Hey, glad that you're watching. Um, have fun on your honeymoon. I don't even know what I was going to say. Oh, I was just out in Arkansas with their wedding. And, and so on the way back from their wedding reception, I was like, Rachel, I think I can get back to our Airbnb without directions. And she's like, so, you know, we get up to an intersection. I'm like, do you think we go to the left straight? or right. She's like, to the right. I'm like, oh, I was upset that she was right. You know, I was like, yeah, that's right. So we take a right. We go to the next light. I'm like, do you think we go to the right? Do we go straight or do we go left? She's like, I think straight. I'm like, nope, left. <laughs> I feel good about that for some reason. Right. But some interesting things about when we get lost, we never get lost on purpose, do we? And it happens to us, not just physically, but even symbolically in our lives that it's so easy for people, whether single, married, whether it has to do with your children, whether they're young children or adult children, we find ourselves, be it in the workplace or issues inside the home, we find ourselves lost. And one reason that we know we're lost is that we look around us and we don't like or we don't know where we are. And it happens to all of us. Psychological research actually shows when you track people's lives, and there was a, a medical group that tracked um, um, over uh, 2,000 people's lives over the course of 40 years. And the average uh, trauma that a person faced in their life, and a trauma in someone's life is anything physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually that was life-altering and life-devastating. Most people in that group faced between four and five major life trauma situations. 
most of those, when I say most, I literally mean the majority. I don't mean like 9 out of 10 or necessarily 6 out of 10, but it was really around two-thirds. Two-thirds of those life-altering things that happened to them were in their control. It was a decision they made or a decision that they were in control of, while the others, the life-altering trauma that happened in their life was something that was uncontrollable. It was maybe a car accident in the family, or maybe it was something that had to do with someone else that they were not a decision maker around. But we all face life trauma. And even according to this research, that most of the life trauma that you will face in your life, you had something to do with. Now, I say that as a disclaimer, because some of the trauma that you and I experience is really like we feel bad, we feel responsible for it, but it's not your fault. You did not cause it. One of the things that I have found myself doing when I talk to people that are going through a life, um, life trauma is I, I hear when they describe what they're going through that they're blaming themselves. And I'm sure you remember some of those conversations with maybe a friend or a family member when you're like, whoa, 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 why are you beating yourself up? This is not your fault. There are so many situations where you blame yourself and it's not your fault. But there are so many situations that you find yourself in as the victim and you are treating yourself like the victim, like it's someone else's fault, but it's actually yours. So all that to culminate to say most life trauma, the average, right, more than the average, has to do with decisions that you and I make. And one interesting thing really about what happens to us in our lives is that we do believe that it's our life choices and our direction that causes it. So I like to say this, direction trumps intention every time. Direction trumps intention every time. You found yourself in life situations and you say, I, I didn't mean to do this or I, I, I didn't know that I would end up here and I, I really wanted to do this, but I ended up here for some reason. Well, you, you know, it's, it, it was an accident. And sometimes maybe even you've apologized to someone. You say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, but it happened, right? And so much of what happens to us and to other people from us is everything to do with the decisions that we make. Be it something like you find yourself with a banking account with no money in it. Who's responsible for that? And you say, I've been working for 40 years, or maybe it's for 10 years or 20 years. And you say, I have no, bank, I have no money in my banking account. Or you find, as an adult, this is one thing that I've heard a lot that I, that I too fear. If you're a young parent, you probably fear this. You, you, one day you wake up and you realize, I, I don't, my family doesn't want to be around me. Or maybe my adult children don't want to hang out with me. Like, what happened along the way? I'm not saying that's all your fault. I'm not saying it's not all on them and their season or their phase of life. But what happened along the way? Or maybe even you find yourself disconnected from God. And once you remember being connected to God, and you think, what happened in my life spiritually? There's almost this life cycle analysis. And I've actually done this exercise with other individuals and pastors and even churches. This exercise called the life cycle analysis. And there's four quadrants in this analysis. The lower left quadrant, if you could just kind of picture the bell curve that lifts up and goes back down. The lower left quadrant is called accelerating. And some of you would say in your life right now that it's kind of accelerating. It's not where you want it to be. But in light of the past, it's getting better. There's a forward sense of momentum. Things are not financially perfect, but they're better. They're going in the right direction. Maybe your relationships or the job or the marriage, it's not perfect. But you know what? You could say it's on the rise. That's the accelerating quadrant. 
The second quadrant of life cycle is called booming. And the booming quadrant is really where you would say, you know what, things are good. The booming quadrant doesn't mean things are perfect. It doesn't mean that there aren't major areas of improvement. But you would say life is good right now. It's strong. I like my job. I don't want another job. I'm not searching for another job at night, right? I'm not searching for other kids online. I like my kids, you know, or whatever it is. Like you would say, it's not perfect, I know, but it's booming. It's good. The next quadrant is kind of the bell curve goes down, the opposite of accelerating, decelerating. It's say, I have a loss of momentum, a loss of energy, a loss of joy, a loss of excitement. I'm not into a depressive state, but you know what? It's not where it should be, losing energy, losing steam, losing momentum. And finally, the bottom right quadrant, we would say and call it tanking. And this is where people get into their life when they say they might not verbalize, but it's time to call for some help. It's time to call 911. It's time to call a friend, right? It's time to see a counselor. Um, this is where you're empty. Most people find themselves there, but they don't, they don't say, you know what? I'm headed towards deceleration. I'm headed towards tanking. They wake up one day and they find themselves there. And they say, I didn't intend to be here. I didn't plan on being here. But life really is not about your intentions. It's really about the path that you're on. The scary truth today, every single one of us in this room is on a path. You have a path with your job today. Now, you may say, I don't know that path. I wish you would tell me because it sure does feel stable or it sure does feel stagnant or I've been going through the motions. Where do you think that's headed? right? One day you're going to wake up and say, I don't want this job. Every single one of us is on a path in every relationship that you have. The question is, where is the path headed? You are on a direction. The question is, what direction is that? Most people are not self-aware. In fact, one of my greatest frustrations in day-to-day life, as my wife, if she's in the room, is when I feel that other people are not self-aware. Do you ever pull in the grocery store parking lot and you got like a family of 14? I don't know why they have a family of 14, but there's a family of 14 and they're walking. There's no more perfect way for them to walk in the middle of the road. Anybody? And they walk that way for like 100 yards. You're like, yo, there are cars here. Move to the right, right? And I'm perfectly self-aware in all scenarios, of course, right? Because it's all my perspective. And so I'm sure I, I have the same problem like all of us do humans, that we lack self-awareness. And I would say so many people are not aware of where they're headed. I even got scared preparing this lesson today. I asked my wife, where do you think I'm headed as a dad? Where do you think we're headed? And she's like, I I think we're okay, right? Are, are you asking because you think there's a problem? I'm like, no, but like maybe it's not. Maybe I will wake up one day and my kids don't want to be around me. Maybe I'll ask them to go on vacation with me and they're like, no, we're going to take our own, you know? Can I come? No, right? Like where, I, I, don't, I don't know. And the challenge of this is that we need other perspectives. Like where, how are we doing? You know, you, you may ask at the end of a message and I, if, if my wife or someone close to me um, isn't listening or does not listen to my sermon, maybe on Sunday afternoon, hey, how do you think it went? I'm like, I don't know. Ask everyone who listened to me. I don't know how it went. Like, ask other people. Like, we, we lack perspective of understanding what the truth really is. The truth is, is that when someone's walking in the middle of the road and they're not aware, the truth is they're just not aware. 
All they're thinking about is what they're about to, to buy at the grocery store or making sure that their kid's right beside them. It's not necessarily their fault. I do want to go back to like 101 walking through parking lot rules and say move to the right, you know, but that's just a different conversation. We lack awareness. I lack awareness. You lack awareness. And the question is, how do we gain that truth? How do we gain that awareness? Because direction does trump attention every time. A dad might say, I want our family to be a unit, and I, I want us to, to love being together. But guess what the dad actually does? Maybe works too much and doesn't carve out one-on-one time. We say one day, I want to be debt-free. I'll get there, right? I want financial freedom. But in actuality, we really do believe because of the way that we operate, that debt's just a way of life. You might say that you want to live long and invest in your grandchildren, right? But we don't what? We don't maybe watch what we eat. We don't, we don't exercise. We don't take care of ourselves. A woman might say, or a man might say, hey, I want to meet and, and marry a, a Christian guy. I remember this in a lot as a youth pastor. Um, but I'll say yes on a date to anyone who looks good, right? <laughs> I just remember that struggle, even talking to guys and girls in, in the teenage years and, and asking and getting them to think about like, you know, choosing a spouse, and like making sure they're Christian. And I remember a lot of conversations about short-term versus long-term thinking and effects. This is the principle of the path and the principle of the harvest. The principle of the harvest we've talked about in the past few weeks is that a man will reap what he finished the sentence. A man will reap what he, what he sows. You can sow it depending on when it's sown, what you sow, what the variables are. I know there are a lot of variables. It will grow. And if it, doesn't grow, there's a reason it did not grow. What you sow, you will reap. And the decisions that you make will set a path for you. There's no better place in the Bible that sets this context and this truth than the book of Proverbs. One of the prayers that was prayed, many of the prayers that were prayed in Scripture, God listened to, God honor. God blessed, and he answered. One of those was the prayer for wisdom for Solomon. And King Solomon spent many years recording wise sayings, some literal, some allegorical, and we call them Proverbs. And it's listed in the, in, in, in the book that's really in the middle of the Bible called Proverbs. And there's a couple of chapters that have to do with men and women and the relationship that have to do between, uh, between the sexes, between, between guys and gals. Well, he writes actually a few chapters, not just of the 31 chapters, not just one. There are several chapters. In fact, I believe it's seven chapters that have to do with Solomon talking to his sons about women. Now, we could flip this, right? A man could talk to his daughters about men and give truth, and a, or, or a woman could talk to her daughter or sons about truth. But this is coming from a man to a man found in uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 7, starting in verse 6. This is a story I want to read to us that illustrates the danger that one decision can make. Now, the Bible's R-rated, disclaimer, right? We start reading the Bible, you're like, oh, is that in the Bible? I thought that stuff happened in real life. Oh, yeah. I think the Bible's very R-rated. In fact, there are certain portions of the scripture when I read them in the morning, I'm like, I think I'm going to Skip over this verse because little Levi might choke on his cereal and say, what'd you say, Dad? Yeah, what, what does that mean? I don't want to talk about that right now, right? Starting in um, 
chapter 7 of Proverbs and starting in verse 6, Solomon gives a warning. Now, this is just a story or an illustration of the many decisions that you and I can make on a day-to-day basis. Look at verse 6. It'll be on the screen with you as well. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. Now imagine that. You ever talked about some teenagers, some kids ain't got no sense, right? Every generation thinks the generation that's younger than them is the, <laughs> the most foolish generation, right? Not me, right? Verse 8, he was going down to the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight. As the day was fading, as the dark of night set in, then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner, she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him with a brazen face, she said. Now you're like, wow, this happened really fast. This ain't no exchanging of cell phone numbers or let's talk later or download this app so we can communicate. No one else finds out, right? No, this is like, hey, man, and uh, they got to a kiss really quick. But with a brazen, well, of course she's brazen, aggressive, right? She's unruly. She's defiant. This is her routine. Verse 14, today I fulfilled my vows and I have food for my fellowship offering at home. Now, verse 14 you would not understand because this was like a Canaanite uh, practice and ritual. Basically, what she was saying is, listen, I go to church. I'm a good woman. She is, what she is trying to tell him is that she is doing her religious duty. Like, you know, she's trying to act like she's good, but she ain't good, right? Verses 6 through 13 tell us what type of woman this is. But she says, listen, I did my offerings. I fulfilled my vows. I am at peace with God. Talk about dirty. Right. Talk about using God as a tool to convince someone else that you are in the right. Verse 15. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. She's pretty clear, isn't she? I mean, at the end of this uh, Bible passage, I don't have anything to explain. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. And all at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer Stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. One decision in the most important verse I would have all of us remember is what I at least in my notes italicized. It will cost him his life. One Decision can cost you your life, much less a culmination of decisions over time that can cost us. Now, if you have questions about verses 6 through 23, I would say, please ask your parents, right? There's no other explanation that I need to say what happened here, right? Infidelity, 
lies, deceit. He believed a lie, and what he further believed is lies upon lies. He actually believed that he could hide it. Very few people today, though I do know some exceptions to this rule and or principle, very few people believe that they will get caught. Very few people are very, should I state it in the, in the, uh, the alternative positive, most people believe that they can hide it, hide their sin, hide their decisions, right? Every now and then it's done publicly and blatantly, and I know the, some of those stories as well. But one decision, what did he get for a moment of pleasure? A lifetime of pain. And verse 23 shows us that. Little knowing it would cost him his life. Now, the first character and the second character in the story are certainly the man and the woman. But the narrator is the one giving the wisdom. The narrator is that third party. And it's easy for us to be that third party. When we're not the character in the story, when we're the one on the kind of the outside looking, that's when we're like, uh-uh, you better not. You better not. How could he? How could she? And we are all guilty of that. Can I say, if you believe, if, if you agree with me, if you're guilty, I want you to say guilty. And what I'm saying you're guilty of is looking at someone else's foolishness and saying, how could they? Are you guilty? It's easy. So the narrator is saying, dude, don't you be looking at her? I know her. Like, and, and, and he tells the story. She comes out with crafty intent, looking for someone to seduce what are you doing? Now, for him, all we know is he's just walking the streets. He's just running his errands, right? And he's, he's just minding his own business. And then some woman comes up and offers to him and seduces him and aggressively gives him a kiss and then invites him over. For her, a lifetime of decisions led to a lifetime of pain. But for him, one decision led to a lifetime of pain. Now, while this story illustrates the path that two people have taken, one long and one short, all of us are on a path, and it's so hard to know where that path is going. And for you, if you wake up today, even if you woke up today and you realize, I don't like where I am financially, I don't like where I am relationally, I don't like where I am in my job, right? And there's so many different paths that you could look back at. I, I would say this to you. Listen, there is hope to change the path. This isn't um, a, a story illustrating foolishness just for foolishness sake. This is a story illustrating foolishness for our wisdom's sake. Like a father is telling his son to watch out because it can happen quickly. A father is telling his son to be careful of who he talks to and who he listens to and what he says yes to. Because one decision, son, can cause you your life, right? It can cause a lifetime of pain. And this is crazy. Like, how quickly could you lose your job? Rhetorical question. But how quickly? One decision, one phone call, right? One word that you've been wanting to say to your boss. Like, one decision, don't say it, please, okay? Don't, 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 don't say it, right? One thing could cost you your job. One decision could cost you trust. One decision could cost you your relationship. But what I want for you is ultimately what God wants for you. And that's good decisions that lead to a good path, that lead us to a good destination, I remember in my in my youth pastor days, I mentioned earlier, I was a youth pastor for a long time. And I remember like the struggle of thinking that, especially in my first youth ministry, I just graduated from college. 
and was going into seminary. I just met Rachel, my wife, and I started as uh, a 22-year-old youth pastor, and so only a few years removed, right, from, from being a teenager myself. And I remember the struggle of thinking that all of my messages were about don't do this, don't do that. And the reason I, I started learning and changing the way that I communicated is because it was so much more than. And I didn't want to be like, hey, don't do drugs, don't, don't go out and have you know, sex. And, and I just fill in the blank of, of what you think a 22-year-old youth pastor would say to a 17-year-old, right? And I didn't like it because there was so much more. Like what I was trying to do is not tell them not to participate in their friends with drugs, but I was trying to tell them to make choices that would lead to joy. Are you following me? Like I wanted that for them. I wanted something. I wanted joy for them. And this is the desire that God has. Like I, I wanted one spouse for them, not eight, right? That's all I wanted for them. And, and, and I wanted like even though it's not a perfect world, like I, I tried to tell them like every relationship that you begin, this is one of my sayings in my 22 to 30 year old stage, every relationship ends in marriage or hurt. So I told teenagers all the time, every relationship that you begin ends in hurt or marriage. Like it either just doesn't end well or it leads to a, a long-term commitment. So be careful, be wise. What does the Bible say about dating? I'm like, ah, as it's in the American culture, not much, right? What our culture does is very different than what we could see in biblical times. What our culture does is very different than what you would experience in different parts of the world. So I'm not speaking to cultural norms or the rules in your house versus the rules in my house growing up. There were certain rules that we had, certain rules that you have that, you know, you can make up your own boundaries. Some of you may even describe the rules that you grew up with was the opposite sex. And you may think, what were my parents thinking? Right? They just let me go. And others of you would say, what were my parents thinking? I was like, you know, chained to the bed, right? Um, and never could go out, right? I'm not speaking to cultural norms. What I am speaking to is Bible wisdom. The Bible says, how can a man keep his way pure? The Bible answers it by saying, by living according to the word. Like this book, the Bible, tells us how we should live. It doesn't tell us who we should date. It tells us how we should how do you know the right person's the, I'm getting into something and maybe, maybe I can't open this can and then close it, but how do you know the right person, right? How do you, how do you know that the right person is the right person? I remember a college pastor of mine, I went to the University of South Carolina and I just began to follow Jesus and got really involved into the college group. And I remember my college pastor said, marriage is a covenant. You know how you know you, you, know you married the right person? When you look at them and you say, I do. You made a covenant commitment, and guess what? That's your spouse, right? It's a choice. And this man walking the streets had a choice. This woman who walked the streets every day had a choice. You and I have a choice today, and it's leading to Monday. You have choices tomorrow that are relational that are emotional, that are spiritual, that are financial. And guess what? It leads to Tuesday. Tuesday leads to Wednesday. I can tell you how the banking account is empty. You spent the money, right? 
I know that I'm oversimplifying, and I know that life is expensive. I know that people lose jobs. I'm not reading into all that. I know that there are scenarios that are super, super tough. But I'm speaking just in general principles that your decisions today affect tomorrow, and our decisions tomorrow affect the next day. So the question is, how can we best set our path? One of the things as a pastor I would say this, and I'd like to say that even as even if I weren't a pastor, that it still um, faith in church and going to church would be a priority for me. Years ago, before I was a pastor here on staff, I remember reading this study. It was on cultural trends and um, busyness trends and church attendance trends and all this fascinating stuff that I thought was fascinating. And I remember reading a research of the nation's largest denomination. And the research of the largest denomination said that attendance across the nation of churches was not going down. Now, you'll hear some people say, maybe you read articles and say, oh, church attendance is going down. Really, as a nation, we're becoming post-Christian in a lot of ways. I don't argue with that. I think in some ways we are certainly post-Christian as a nation, not because of what happens necessarily in government or the state or the schools or local or federal but really just because of the, uh, the, the number of Christians. But the study revealed something interesting, that it's not that less people were going to church, it's that they were going less often. And it showed in the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, 1980s, every single decade. And this story was really around 2010. So I'm, I'm quoting some old data here. But I remember around 2010 reading the study, maybe a few years after that, um, that church attendance was not declining, Right? the number of people that are going to church, but how often they went to church was declining. That it went from the average person that goes to church. Now, if you go to church two or three times a year, you weren't a part of this study, right? This was a uh, individuals that came to church at least 10 times a year, which is a big difference, right? In three and 10. So the actual study showed that people were not attending church 76% of the time anymore. They were actually attending church 50%. So the average American, this is with America's largest denomination, right? Almost 20 or maybe 17,000 churches that the average adult would come to church right, just right above 50% of the time, which means 26 Sundays out of the year. And what that showed was that the trend would continue, obviously, with busyness and priorities. And I just remember that breaking my heart as a pastor to think, if you believe, you know what, I, I, I want to make good decisions financially. Well, you have to make them every day, right? I want to make good decisions spiritually. Like, I want to I have faith. I want my faith to be important, not just to me, but to my family. And at the time, I was thinking, wow, if, if someone only attends church three times a year, how can that be possible? If 10 times a year, 26 times a year, right? So that's just a, just, or what I say, an example. Now, hey, if you're coming to church 10 times a year and that's more than the year before, that's awesome. Praise God, keep, keep, keep going. But if you want to make God a part of your life, guess what? There's a challenge to do that every day. There's an incredible class that we're teaching in the fall called the 112. I want to encourage you to sign up for it because people don't know, how do I make God a part of my life? How, what does it look like to make God a part of my Mondays, right? A, God a part of my Tuesdays. We want to tell you and teach you how to do that. There's a way to pray. There's a way to read the Bible that makes it personal, not just where you have to come to church to do it, right? There's a way to prioritize your relationship with your kids that in five years you 
will have less, fewer regrets. There's a way to prioritize your marriage so that in five years, you will have fewer regrets. There's a way to prioritize God in your life so that in a year from now, you'll say, wow, I'm in a place in my faith I've never been before. It's because of decisions. The decision not to save, the decision not to go out on a date night with your spouse, the decision to show up late every day to work, right? Like every single decision paves the way. But I remember going back to my youth pastor days, I remember telling them, listen, it's not that I don't want you to have fun. It's this idea, and I'm going to put some of these thoughts on the screen just as a closing thought, that fun is always in the rearview mirror, even when it's the right kind of fun. I remember telling them, listen, every single day we make decisions. And this is a father in Proverbs 7 talking to his young son about women. And this is me as a youth pastor talking to teenagers about the decisions that they make. So many decisions. We just want to be happy. Uh Uh-huh. We, we just, we, we want a good life. Yes. We, we, we want to be happy. We want a good life. We want a good job. We want our kids to be happy. But sometimes fun's in the rearview mirror, even if it's the right kind of fun. The next thing I like to say is that satisfaction is a traveling companion. Fun comes and goes. Fun's temporary, right? But the satisfaction that we can have from being on the right path will always go with us. I've been thinking about this, and every, I even uh, said it backstage, and Daniel right here to my right, he said, but, and tell me if I'm wrong, he said, but I, I like this. He goes, I kind of want fun to be in the dashboard, right? No, 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 the windshield. Me too, me too. But you, you can have fun. You can, you can make decisions in, in your life, in your relationships to have fun, but it's fleeting, isn't it? What we really want is the peace and the joy and the satisfaction from knowing that we're on the right path. And your path, even though you didn't intend to be where you are in some areas, your path is a culmination of past decisions. But I got to say this too as we close. God has a better plan for you. God has a better plan for you. You don't have to remain on the path where you are today. It can change in any area of your life. But you must first ask this question. What's the wise thing to do? Like, how do I know? What's the wise thing to do? Like, how do I know what to, what to do in my relationship with my children? What, or my relationship to my parents? How do I know what's the wise thing to do if I'm a teenager or if I'm in college and I'm looking at that relationship or this job opportunity? How do I know what the wise thing to do is in my job if I've been discontent for seven years, for eight years? How do I know? What's the wise thing to do? And the reason I say that God has a better plan for you is because he offers that to us through the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, he spread his arms out. He gave his life. When Jesus died on the cross, he offered the forgiveness of sin. And he offered that. The Bible says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. So I got to tell you today, it does not matter what your past held. The future can be different. 
It does not matter what decisions you have made that led to the path where you are today. Tomorrow's path has not yet been determined. You can change. Your relationships can change. I, I tell almost on a weekly basis, I tell someone, tomorrow is not yet written unless you write it that way. Don't say it's always going to be this way because it's always been that way because that is not true. That when Jesus offered forgiveness, he offered change. When Jesus offered forgiveness, he offered something different than the past and that the future can be different. It can be different because you can follow God with your life. One of the most wise decisions that you could ever make is the decision you've already made by joining us online by being here in the room, by listening to this at a later date than July or June that it is. It's just by prioritizing faith. And you're doing that. And tomorrow can be different because you have put God in your life. If this is your first time and you're exploring, I got to tell you, I've never talked to a soul that ever said, I regret following God. I regret prioritizing faith. I I regret taking a step towards Jesus. It's just never happened. Just never had that conversation. And you can today. Tomorrow can be different because of the decisions you make. So that leaves us with this question. What's the wise thing to do? That's going to be next week's sermon. And I'm going to wrestle with that question. We're going to look at the Proverbs again and some other passages. How do I know? Like I want to make decisions to, to, to make sure the path is right. But what decisions do I make? Well, I can't answer your questions, all of your questions next week. We are going to ask some questions that will alter the decisions that you do make. If you're traveling next week, Safe Travel see you can join us online or at a later date, listen to the podcast. But you don't want to miss next week's message. Let's pray. Thanks again for joining us. Did you know we've created a free app just for you? Whether you are exploring or want to grow in your faith, the app is a great place to start. If you found today's teaching helpful, we hope you'll subscribe or share it with your friends. We look forward to connecting with you on site or online at Encounter Church soon.